Hi everyone, you're listening to the Action Is, an EWB podcast featuring socio-technical professionals who are changing the engineering profession and the world so that all people and living things can thrive. EWB Australia acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout Australia. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders past, present and emerging and know that this land was never ceded. We respect their stories, their wisdom and knowledge systems and their ongoing deep connection to land, water and community. Hello and welcome to the first episode of The Actioneers. My name is Eleanor Loudon, CEO of Engineers Without Borders Australia, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Marlene Kanga. Dr. Kanga is a chemical engineer and was president of the World Federation of Engineering Organisations, WOFIO, from 2017 to 2019. She was the 2013 National President of Engineers Australia, is a fellow of the Academy of Technology, Science and Engineering Australia, and is a member of the Order of Australia. She's listed, understandably, among one of the top 10 women engineers in Australia and top 100 engineers in the history of Australia for her achievements. As president of Wolfio, she led the proposal to declare the World Engineering for Sustainable Development Day, which we now celebrate globally on March the 4th. She also recently successfully led the global review of the engineering education benchmarks that underpin engineering education and professional development in 30 countries around the world, including in Australia. This is the most significant change to the framework since it was first developed in the early 1990s. These changes reflect the changing face and priorities of the engineering sector worldwide. We are here today to talk with Marlene. Marlene, welcome and big congratulations. What an achievement. Uh, yes, thanks. Thanks for having me, Eleanor. It's a, it's a real pleasure and I'm a great supporter of Engineers Without Borders and have been for many years uh, and uh, very much aligns with my ideals for engineering. So uh, I always wanted to be an engineer. I mean, uh, uh, my father was an engineer, one of the first engineers to graduate just before independence uh, in India. And uh, so he quickly... Uh, uh, rose to quite senior positions and was involved in all kinds of very interesting infrastructure projects. He was actually an electrical and mechanical engineer, but he was involved in uh, the building of roads and the electrification of large parts of the country, airports and so on. And uh, at that time, India received a lot of aid from the United States and other countries. And he often took me along to these projects. If There was a big Hercules plane coming in at night, you know, we'd go together to the airport and see the big road rollers coming off the plane. Or if an airport was going to be lit up by the minister the next day, he'd take me for the test the previous evening and say, you can be the first to turn on the lights. Yeah. And I had I had this sense of excitement um, about engineering. It, to me, it was just the most exciting profession. And it also... Um, I, I like the way it. I understood how things worked. I, I, I love that part. And I was quite inquisitive. I was very good at mathematics and science. So it just came naturally. And no one in my family uh, uh, or in my circle told me girls don't do engineering. So I grew up in a very sheltered uh uh, you know, family background, uh, quite privileged uh, in India, went to an all-girls 
convent school mm -hmm. where they tell you the nuns actually uh, encourage you to think that girls can do anything. But they were also horrified that I was doing advanced mathematics without the teacher. <laughs> I was so headstrong. Without uh, a teacher? You without a teacher, yeah. My father started that? me off and that, that was it. And then finally in my last six months of high school, they found me a teacher because there were no teachers in that school to teach advanced mathematics. Um, so it was a big shock when I arrived at university and found that there were very few women there. Mm. And that's where I discovered that there weren't many girls in engineering. <laughs> but uh, I, I just enjoyed the work and I still love it. I have to say, I say to people, don't tell them uh, how much I enjoy it. But even if I, they didn't pay me, I'd still do this work because I love the, the fact of the impact that it has, that it improves people's lives and that it makes a difference. And I think there are very few professions that do that. Uh, in medicine, that is well known. And people understand that because on a one-to-one -one basis on your own health, you understand this. But engineers improve health in bulk, in large numbers, like yeah. with clean water and sanitation. But we just don't communicate that impact enough. And yeah. that's where I'm coming from. That's the that's the passion that has driven me through my career and through all the obstacles and barriers that I've faced. That's that vision has sustained me. Yeah. So you you feel that you can, you can feel the potential, you can feel the impact that's about, uh, possible. And, I, and it's interesting. I hadn't actually thought about it like that before about that that impact at scale. You know, because we do know that you know doctors and lawyers and so on they can they can make significant change, but engineering does play a particular role, and we don't talk about it enough. So you've you've um. You know, it must have been challenging, you know, growing up in India and, and being in a girls' school and not having access to it. So you've, you've had enough challenges in your life and, and here you are today with this incredible outcome. So so what do you think, you know, like understand having worked with you a little bit now and understanding a little bit more of who you are and, and understanding this passion that you have, what do you think the biggest issues are? What's, what's, what are some of the problems that we need to solve now? And, and I think you've come a long way in, in some of the influence that you've had, honestly, inspiring influence that you've had in, in your role. What do you, what do you see is the, is the, the critical sort of issues that we're facing in the sector? Uh, well, I think the, the, the most critical is the fact that we don't have enough engineers mm. and in many countries of the world. I mean, um, in Australia, in fact, we depend, uh, we rely on uh, migration. And in 2012, I think it flipped with more than 50% of engineers in Australia overseas born, because mm. for more than 25 years, we've had about the same number graduating in Australia. Uh, and this is, and in other countries, the issue is even more acute. So in most developed countries, you're looking at uh, uh, around about 100 for every 10, 100 engineers for every 10,000. Mm. But in countries like Africa, the number is as low as one and two. It's in the single digits. Wow. So they have a huge way to go in terms of ha having more engineers. And when I talk, say, engineers, it's not just professional engineers, but technologists and technicians as well who have an important role. Yeah, I think the other issue is to engage uh, more women in engineering because it's basically it's 50% of the world's brain power. And if we want to increase the number of engineers and uh, to have more sustainable solutions, we need a broader perspective and we need to harness that brain power. And that message is slowly getting through in, in, in some countries in Asia, 
in Africa and in Latin America, where engineering is a relatively new profession. So some of the norms of behavior and culture aren't that entrenched. So you have, you're getting up to 30 to 50%, which is what we're looking for, of mm-hmm. women participating in the profession. But many in the developed world, this is where the numbers are still very low. So what do you think it is that will, will switch switch that, those statistics, turn, turn um, you know, women and other diverse cohorts onto engineering as, as, as a potential, you know, career path? Yeah, so that, there's two parts. One is it, within organisation, it's a, it's clearly is a leadership issue. It's up to the leaders to change the culture in engineering. And the culture is so endemic, so entrenched, you know, people, they don't even notice that there's a particular culture. Um, But it it is possible through leadership. And uh, for example, in in engineering, we've made huge changes in the safety culture uh, in the last 20 years. Mm. And I've got photographs of workers on sites, you know, in shorts and thongs, no safety a uh, uh, helmet, uh, you know, hard hats, no yeah. gloves, etc. No PPE at all. Mm. Uh, and she'll be right attitude. Whereas today, even if the chair of the board turned up without the safety gear on, they, they wouldn't let him on site. So safety culture has transformed. And this is a leadership um uh, the leadership has done it in engineering organizations uh, because they've clearly put out the message that this is important to us. It's important to us as, as a team to look after our employees together. It, safety is non-negotiable. Mm. And uh, and it's a just culture as well. So if there is an incident, no one gets punished, but, be, but you investigate what happened, you try to learn and do better. This same uh, strategy can be applied to diversity and inclusion. And in fact, I developed such a strategy which has been implemented quite successfully in, in several engineering organizations. And uh, it's, you know, for engineering leaders, because they've done it for safety, they don't even have to read the strategy. They get it straight away. And okay. that they get that eureka moment. That's when it starts to be implemented. So I think it's it really needs a change in culture. Yeah. The second part, if I might, uh, to encourage more, uh, more young people to uh, into engineering, is the communication one, where yeah. we've got to go out more into the community, in, into schools, you know, at high school level, to career advisors, to teachers, to parents, and talk to them about engineering because it's got such a low profile that engineering is not considered as a career choice today. Do you think that there's a um, intersection between um, your passion for the SDGs and sustainable engineering and, and the positive impact that engineering can have on the world and and the message that we tell young people? Um, do you think that that, would, that intersection um, would help to generate interest? Absolutely, because young people uh, more than ever today want careers that make a difference. Mm. They don't want to just sit at a desk and and push paper around or type at a keyboard, but they want to know that what they're doing is having an impact. And engineering, like no other profession, enables you to have that impact. And the link with the sustainable development goals creates a wonderful narrative of how engineering is important for every one of those sustainable development goals. And I uh, started on the journey of creating this narrative um, 
uh, when I was planning, was working with uh, non-engineering staff from uh, in London in the institution of civil engineers. And they said, oh, engineering has nothing to do with sustainable development goals. Did they really? And I wow. said, you're kidding. So I set out to sh- sh- prove them wrong. <laughs> and that became the core of the UNESCO a second UNESCO engineering report, which is actually called now Engineering for Sustainable Development. But that message has been embraced around the world enthusiastically because everybody gets it. Yeah. They see that connection and they love it. Um, and engineers most of all love it because it suddenly gives them a meaning and an impetus to their work Purpose, and allows yeah. them to, most importantly to talk about it mm-hmm. in a non-technical way, in a mm-hmm. way that relates to to people because everyone wants to know what's in it for me and mm. you can relate that clear, quite clearly. Yeah. So when you were with um, Wolfio, you had this vision of, of integrating the sustainable development goals um, and, and looked at the global competencies and professional attributes. T- talk to me about that journey and how, and how, we, how we've ended up here with this incredible outcome. Well, it was it was very strategic. I'm a bang for buck girl, and I uh, try to get things with maximum impact with minimum. <laughs> with, uh, not that this had, you know, didn't have a lot of uh, work and didn't del- and involve a lot of work, but I was thinking uh, far ahead. I had this great vision to transform the engineering profession from the inside out, and how better to transform it than through how you teach and train graduates at the university level. That's where you're laying the foundations for culture, for the commitment to lifelong learning, for critical thinking, for working inclusively in teams. That's where you learn and then you take that through your professional life. And so, you know, rather than doing research and talking about the need for for all these different aspects, you know, there were so many uh, that had to be included in a in a contemporary, forward-looking profession that ready to solve the you know the most challenging problems that the world is now facing. Um, you know, I decided to do something about it, and doing it from the inside out was was the way we went, and that was the impetus for reviewing the graduate attributes and professional competencies. And it it took a lot of uh, uh, hard thinking and developing the the pathway, the roadmap, and then communicating that to our partners, including the International Engineering Alliance. So it's a journey that started in 2018. And I spoke to a a lot of people and had to convince them and and convince them not in a theoretical fashion, but in a show in a practical way how it could be done. And it because we thought it through so deeply, we were able to progress it very quickly. It's quite remarkable. We really only started in November 2019. Yeah. And we had a first cut in June 2020, very fast. And then it was embraced wholeheartedly by by the world, by even non-signatories of the International Engineering Alliance. And I'm so grateful for the support from Engineers Without Borders and all your chapters, 
because you represented the voice of young engineers and we wanted everyone to have a, have a voice. We had a consultation with industry, with, with women, which had never happened before in oh, large numbers. Yeah. We talked to the research engineering education uh, you know, groups around the world in Asia and Europe and Latin America. And EWB was crucial in bringing the voice of young engineers from so many chapters. And collectively, everyone, you know, there were tweaks here and there, but at, at the end of the day, there was huge support. Uh, the signatories of, of the IEA also participated very strongly and had many webinars, uh, uh, you know, right up to the time that they approved it. But I have to say it wasn't a slam dunk. Right to the end, we, we weren't sure how it would go. And we were yeah, it was touch and questions. go for a while. Yeah, I know. I remember but, talking uh, with you about that we time. got across the line. And yeah. I think it's incredible. It's also incredible that UNESCO supported it all the way and its logo is now on this uh, standard which is really historic because it it's saying that this is this is the way we want our future engineers to be and yeah and and some of the areas i might add also like the ethical framework we broaden the meaning of what is meant by ethics i was going to uh, ask you about professional that. Yeah. technical ethics but environmental inclusion social and so on yeah. so i think that there were many many significant changes and even now when we sit back and ponder it we can see how much there is in there but it's also devilishly simple you know the, it's simple language straightforward but there's a whole lot in there well even when you touch on like you you just mentioned the 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 changed ethical framework and and social ethics and environmental ethics and then there's a whole i imagine now globally a whole unpacking of what that means and and yes. how do you actually assess that um is there any sort of next steps Yes, there is absolutely next steps. And it's very interesting that one of the things we were very careful about was not prescribing how it should be done. And that was done uh, very deliberately because we wanted each member nation, each signatory to take it on and, and interpret it and make it its own. So there's a principle of equivalence in okay. terms of the signatories and mutual recognition of, of the engineering education across the in International Engineering Alliance. Uh, and uh, so you recognize the equivalence, but each nation can do it their own way, adapt uh, the, the engineering curriculum and how it's taught and the practical work to make sure that it's relevant to that country, to its culture and so on. So it makes sense. It's not imposed from outside, it's from mm -hmm. within. And so uh, this again is an idea that has been embraced by the signatories and some are going faster than others. In fact, it was quite interesting in June while some signatories were saying, oh, it's gonna be very difficult one of the signatories, relatively new ones, said, we've already done it. We're implementing it and we're training uh, our <laughs> academics, which- uh, Can you tell me who that was? That, that's uh, that was Pakistan. Oh, fantastic. That's yeah. very good and, to know. Uh, so, yeah. And uh, I know that China is moving very fast. They've got a, a big event coming up early next year to implement. They're very excited about it. They've embraced uh, aspects of the new technologies, the way it prepares engineers for new technology. So each each nation has found something new uh, in there. Uh, yeah. But the underpinning of the uh, UN Sustainable Development Goals there, you know, is also very important. And and um, you know, is again 
uh, informing that broader impact of engineering that comes from that education. So when they're looking at all parts of the framework now, are they referring back to the UN SDGs? Is that how that's a sort of foundation? Yeah. And again, uh, what we did very deliberately was not to list the 17 goals specifically and say you've got to do A, B and C, but just uh, reference the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So again, leaving it, it's like an open exam question, leaving it very open-ended for various signatories and nations to take on as much as or as little as they wish. As, as long as they maintain, they can demonstrate that equivalence. And I think over time, this is going to evolve. We'll start to see a model of implementation uh, as this interpretation goes through. And how does it um, work then going forward? Is there um, an opportunity to come back together every year and hear how China's doing it and how Pakistan's doing it and others are doing it, like a community of practice almost? Is that how it would work? Yeah, absolutely. There will be there there, there will be um, ongoing webinars. So I actually spoke at one a uh, uh, couple of days ago on uh, last Friday in Peru, uh, you know, where they were addressing this question. And so... Each, each jurisdiction will have their, uh, you know, d- discussions with their academics and then the International Engineering Alliance will, I'm sure, have their discussions, bringing together their signatories. And the World Federation of Engineering Organizations will have their discussions with their members. So th- there's some crossover between members of the two groups, yeah. but not everyone's a member of both. So, uh, so we're certainly, you know, it, it's very early days, but th- this is just beginning. This is, this is going to uh, have a life of its own. I'm interested to know what kind of, you know, for, for the women engineers out there and those who are moving into, because we're going to need to see more women engineers in leadership roles, and you're an, an excellent example of how um, change can happen when you're in these kind of roles. Um, what did you need to um to remember or hold true to through this process, the last two years of getting these changes through? As as a a woman in a man's world, I mean, I don't know how many other women there were around that table, but um, you were leading leading on this. I'd love to hear some of your sort of, um, you know, what what you carried carried with you through that process. Yeah, I I have to say that I've throughout my career I've I've been the only woman woman in the room. In fact, no. I I have worked with other women on very rare occasions. So so I'm uh, so I'm not faced by that, and and I'm carried by I suppose my uh, my conviction of uh, and, and vision of what needs to be done, the work that needs to be done, mm-hmm. and I also prepare thoroughly. You know, I I know. Uh, what me, you know, my this topic, the subject matter, and so on. So I put in a great deal of work in that as well. Mm-hmm. And I, and but at the bottom line is, I actually didn't think about the fact that I was a woman there. Never occurred to me. I just, I just went on and and just did the work. So, uh, yeah, and I, I consider it a privilege, mm-hmm. I, I to have the opportunity. So, to have the opportunity to 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 make such a change. Uh, even though it was an enormous amount of work, you know, seven days a week, you just, you know, put everything else aside, personal and family and social. But, you know, for me, it it was just a must do. And, and because it was it was an opportunity for me in my hands, I just could not 
say no. Yeah, it was just a matter of just had to get on with it and do it. And I, I do, I do see it as a as an enormous privilege. I wanted to also go back and add on EWB. I think in terms of implementing, I wanted to add the the graduate attributes. The implementation is not so much, you know, learn theoretical uh, topics in the curriculum, but it also includes hands-on work. And I think the opportunities that EWB provides in terms of its projects uh, is huge because those projects bring together many elements of uh, the graduate attributes framework mm-hmm. in terms of leadership, working in teams, communicating, being innovative, developing solutions in tough conditions with limited uh, resources, uh, and, you know, protecting the environment and so on. And and uh, I'm, uh, you know, I, I think in one of the activities in promoting this framework is. Um, to promote, uh, to have a hackathon, a problem-solving challenge for young engineers that will uh, relate to the sustainable development goals and some of the uh, graduate attributes. And we're hoping that universities will see that and encourage young people to participate in that. And in future, one of the ideas we have is to showcase the work being done by engineers without borders and the chapters around the world and demonstrate how they align in a practical way to achieving the graduate attributes. And hopefully that will give many young people around the world the opportunity to work on real life projects and most importantly to see firsthand how they can have a positive impact through engineering. Yes, thank you. More than happy to help with that. Um, even in Australia, this is as an aside, but even in Australia, we we actually looked at um, the graduate, um, uh, the the professional competencies too, and we and we worked with EA to map the competencies that engineers who'd been on our field trips and, and worked with us overseas, and how that um, aligned with the the professional competencies too. So there's there is that bit that we've also yeah. done too. It's it's a definitely an interesting space, and yeah, very interested um, in how um, the the sort of ethical framework of of the, the evolved ethical framework that we have now. You know, we've just had COP twenty six, um, or we're in the process of it. Um, there's a huge urgency around the world, around the environment and environmental ethics. Um, engineers have a huge role to play and a leadership role to play really in, in what's going to happen next um, for our planet. How, when, when you were discussing this over the last two years and putting these, these um, changes into the framework, what was the general sense around, around the table? Um, what did people say was important for engineering around environmental sustainability and ethics? Yeah, there was no question that that was important, that that was recognised. And I think what what's lacking is uh, the ability of engineers uh, to feel that they can speak up. Uh, even if you're in a junior role, my, my message is that you are still a leader. You're a leader, whatever position you are, and you need to lead that thinking and, and, and speak up uh, and, and uh, make those changes that make a difference. Because very often... Uh, engineering solutions can be changed to achieve the outcomes that that the um, you know that the customer wants or that you know that you're 
that you the person that you the stakeholder needs that you're looking for while also uh, delivering on those social ethical uh, sustainability uh, ideals as well there's mm-hmm. always a way and that's the beauty of engineering it's you know you you can be innovative and creative and think through how that can be done and it's a bit harder but but you know i don't think it's impossible and i don't think that uh, uh, that this is an exclusion issue there but but really it's a matter of inclusion and and same with diversity and so on Absolutely. you've just got to find the way uh, and uh, it is, and we found that for example in covid we found a way we quickly found a way to work online and so on because we were forced to do so and we've just simply got to find that way and i hope for climate change that we start to make those changes now because the next 10 years are going to be so crucial Absolutely. And I think you're right. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because engineers are often at the table, often often invited into the room, aren't they? You know, you will often see an engineer at the in the room. And yet there does seem to be a hesitation in speaking up. Or um, is it a do you think it's a confidence or is it is it um just not the natural bent? <laughs> what is that? Yeah. Well, I think as engineers, we we stick to the technical stuff, but but the fact is that nothing can be done get done for example with respect to climate change without engineering so engineering absolutely has to be in that room it's not the policy makers or the politicians or the financial people or the lawyers who are going to make it happen it's the engineers and the scientists and my dad who will come up with those clever solutions and will impl- design and implement them so we have to have that voice and we need to have that confidence of saying we are the people that are going to make this happen and here's how we think it should happen uh, and not get dictated by 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 those who don't have that scientific or technical background um so it's just a matter of confidence and being able to speak up as as a community and as a profession and i i'm hoping for example students uh, through the new framework education framework will develop those attributes in being able to communicate uh, communication was considered one of the key areas um, it was very interesting it was one of the top areas teaching engineers to communicate in every way written and verbal and in different contexts um, as well use of it tools which has become ubiquitous uh, across all the di- disciplines so so these are some of the areas that are so important and that i hope will inform the way engineers engage with society in future so this is an opportunity now for you to tell us what's most on your mind what do you what do you want anyone listening to our inaugural podcast to hear this this is your opportunity to stand up and say what 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 next for marlene kanga and what next for engineering <laughs> Yeah I well I think uh, for me it's all about the outcomes it's not about me personally and if I've managed to facilitate something and set the ball rolling for uh, for an idea or an issue that will have ongoing impact well then that's the greatest achievement for me and uh, I I think that communicating the role of engineering to the broader commu- community to moms and dads to to teachers uh, career advisors and most importantly to young people so that they can aspire to be an engineer and have that vision that I can change the world here yeah i had i will get the tools to really make a genuine change um that's very important and i wanted to advocate for world engineering day 
for sustainable development. It was such a a big idea. And when I embarked on it, I had no idea how, how I was going to get there. Unlike the graduate attributes framework where I had thought it through, this one I hadn't. And every time I met someone, they told me a little bit more on how it could be done. And at one point, I'd actually given up, but uh, I... Uh, but but I every time I thought I'll, it's too hard, somebody else would tell me something and I would go on. And we got got it across the line. It was an incredible roller coaster ride, I have to say. Uh, you know, I sat till midnight at the UNESCO executive board meeting in Paris. Uh, you know, just waiting for the decision to be made, and it wasn't made, and you know, and things like that. <laughs> but eventually, we got there, and it's it's been a phenomenal success. It's grown. Uh, from just in the last two years, reaching 32 million. In 2022, in year three, we hope to exceed 100 million. We have hundreds of events all around the world. We have engineers, um, you know, celebrating spontaneously, which is what we want. We have we want communities to celebrate spontaneously. So, for example, in 2021, we had the little town of Rochester in the UK light up a bridge. Rochester Bridge for World Engineering Day. And, you know, that's great. That's terrific. That's the message uh, of the wonder of engineering being communicated in Rochester. And we want everyone around the world to do something similar to, you know, to communicate, to have a party or whatever, and to talk everything engineering and to say that really it's not boring, but it actually, you know, makes our world, makes our economy keeps us healthy, keeps us moving and makes life, so, modern life so good. So really, I think World Engineering Day is another great uh, way of communicating about engineering. We've sort of opened the door for engineers and giving them the opportunity and many have taken it up. The Twitter feed was phenomenal in 2021 and we think it's only going to get better um, uh, in yeah. 2022. So that's my soapbox. Uh, <laughs> celebrate World Engineering Day, 4th March each year. And 4th of March, uh, that's right. So we've got, time. we've got the hackathon. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the hackathon? Um, yes. Yeah. yeah, I think the hackathon is a is a key event of World Engineering Day. And this is one where we focus on um, young engineers and engineering students. And we would like uh, engineering students to work on uh, th uh, one of three challenges, which we're going to pose in early January, uh, which uh, they will have to work in teams and, and develop a solution that's innovative, uh, creative, and that advances one or more of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And uh, of, uh, of the best, uh, we will, of all the submissions, we'll pick eight or 10 and make them into videos, which will be shown on World Engineering Day in a 24-hour live a streaming event that will be held around the world on the 4th of March, 2022. So uh, I'm really inviting all uh, engineering students in particular around the world to take part in this challenge. It's being supported by Engineers Without Borders and it, it really is, is a way to achieve some of the requirements of the graduate attributes uh, and professional competencies framework. Yeah. Yeah, test, test, put the pedal to the metal. Let, let's see how this works. Um, so here you, you've come from India, turning the lights on at the airport <laughs> to now having people turn on lights 
for engineering in Rochester. Um, going forward, there'll be solar lights and there'll be women who design them, women engineers who design them. So you've had an amazing journey and look what you've achieved. I'm really so, so grateful to be speaking with you and so thankful for your time today. Um, if people want to contact you or want to learn more about the hackathon or, you know, learn more about your story or, or where we go from here with the global attributes, what where do, where do we find out more information? Well, there's two places. There's a website for World Engineering Day, which is worldengineeringday.net. And uh, you can also go to the World Federation of Engineering Organization website, wfeo.org, uh, and you will find, uh, you can, uh, you know, if you do a search or look under engineering education, you'll find the framework and you'll find uh, lots of inf information on some of the issues that I've talked about. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. I've loved talking with you. Yeah, thank you. It's been a great privilege and I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. The Action News production team is grateful to soundscape artist Julian Rausch for creating our podcast music. To learn more about this podcast and to access this episode's show notes, please visit our website, ewb.org.au forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please spread the word, like and subscribe and leave us a review. We look forward to spending time actioneering with you again during our next episode. 